This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. Our guest this week is Dr. Dave Tyburn, Senior Vice President of Science and Technology for the National Pork Board. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Dr. Dave Pyburn next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's crop insurance industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Incidents of African swine fever have increased substantially over the past several months, with much attention given to the spread of the disease in China and Europe. Dr. Dave Pyburn, Senior Vice President for Science and Technology with the National Pork Board, says the virus is a huge threat to the pork industry with no known vaccine or medical cure. African swine fever, it's a highly contagious disease only of pigs and it's caused by a virus. Where it's been in the world is historically, hence the name, it was in, in Africa. There were outbreaks in other areas, such as uh, we saw it down in the, on the island of Hispaniola and other areas 30, 40 years ago. But for the most part, it was in Africa and a few other uh, portions of Asia and, and the European continent. And it stayed there. But what's happened in the last 10 years or so is we've now seen it expanding and maintaining infection in other countries. Primarily, seven to eight years ago, it, was, it moved into Russia. And it's moved through Russia and into the Baltic states and into some, some of the Eastern European countries, as well as now into Belgium, uh, which would be a Western European country. So we've seen that movement. And then we've also seen movement into China. And that's really what we've been talking about for the last month now is on August 3rd, we had that first outbreak farm that we were notified of in China. And that's really been the discussion around uh, our biosecurity here and, and the ability for that virus to get here because it is in China. How much of the world's swan population is susceptible to this particular virus right now? The entire population is. Um, when you look at the African warthog, that actually is a swine species, and it's, it's resistant to this virus. Uh, it'll get infected, it'll carry the virus, but it doesn't show clinical signs. But all other swine are, are very susceptible to this. When it breaks in a country that has not seen the virus for some time or ever, such as us, we've never had this virus here in this country, it can cause mortality, death in, in herds up to 80% or even more in some cases. So highly contagious and very severe disease when it does happen in those countries where pigs just don't have any immunity to this virus at all. Is there any vaccine and is there any medication that can cure it? Uh, let's start with the medication because that's really, really easy. And no, it's a virus. Um, so it's not something that we've got uh, medication that we can help with. If pigs were to survive and maybe have secondary bacterial infections, maybe medications would help them some, but nothing that you can do for African swine fever virus and the infection based on medication. The other part of that question that you asked is vaccine. Also bad news on that front as well. Um, folks have been working in this country and also in European countries as well 
on trying to develop that vaccine, and we just do not have one. This virus, we're not able to find the protective antigens on this virus that work for a vaccine up to this point at this time. I've spoken with a couple of folks here in this country who have worked on vaccines uh, out at the Plum Island facility and then also uh, here on the mainland as well, and they tell me we are not close to a breakthrough on a vaccine. So we don't have a vaccine, and we don't see one in the near future for this virus. Is this particular virus a threat to humans? No. Absolutely not. And that that's okay. So now we get into some good news. Um, the good news here is that no, it is not at all. It's not a zoonotic organism, which means it does not infect humans, does not affect humans. Um, it, it really is not a disease of anything other than pigs. Uh, only the members of the pig family, the, the suidae or swine family, are the ones that, that get this disease um, and have the disease. So there is finally some good news, Jeff. One of the things that's been happening in China and I suppose in other places in the world to try to prevent the spread, there's been depopulation, the harvesting of those animals. Is that meat safe or is that something that will be lost if we certainly have to depopulate? Yeah, I've seen, uh, and I've seen some of what they're doing depopulation-wise in China, and we would do the same here too. And that is, that meat is not going into into the food supply. It would be safe because people are not infected with this virus. But we've got regulations as well as they do in China too that that sick animals do not end up in the food supply, even if it's not a zoonotic organism that they're carrying. So, um, no, that that meat uh, would not end up in the in the food supply, but it would be safe. So even as this particular virus has grown and has spread uh, around the world, there's not a particular threat right now for humans other than what could be a mass depopulation of the swine herd that could certainly have an effect on pork producers and the price that consumers pay for pork. That's right, um, and, and they're seeing that right now in China. China has very severe movement restrictions right now for those provinces where they have found the virus, and then any provinces that border those uh, infected provinces also have severe restrictions on movement of animals. In fact, they just can't move man- animals at this point. And so we're seeing that though, where in the north there, where they can't move animals, they can't get them to the slaughter plants in the south, we're seeing that the price of, of pork in China and those northern provinces has dropped greatly. Uh, conversely, in the south where they've got slaughter plants, but they're not at full capacity and they can't get pork out to the urban areas in the south, we're seeing the price of pork and the price of pigs both go up in China. And the same thing would happen here, too. If it were uh, a widespread infection in the United States throughout our industry, and we did have losses like we're talking about, 80% mortality in, in, uh, in many of the herds, uh, then there would be a shortage of pigs, which would lead to a shortage of pork. And when there's a shortage, that's when the price goes up. So, uh, yeah, that would be the effect is is on the food supply, not not as far as a, an effect on infection in humans. Let's talk about China right now. Obviously, uh, the largest pork herd in the world, over 55% of the uh, the world's pigs are in China. Where did it first show up in China, and how is it spreading? What's the nature of this virus? Is it a simple spread, or are there multiple angles? It first started in China in the northern part of the country, and then very quickly, and I'm talking within a day or two, skipped a 1,000 kilometers or more, actually, to the south. That, I'm sure, was a movement from a northern farm down to a slaughter system in the south. In fact, they found it at a slaughter couple of slaughter plants in the south. So it was it was animal movement that was moving that over great distances within China. So you can move this virus um, or you can transmit this virus by movement of animals, movement of contaminated trucks or other equipment. You can move this virus by movement of meat. Uh, it will survive for months 
in meat and pork products. It will survive actually uh, even more than a year possibly in meat that's uh, bone-in meat. So it's a very hardy virus, so you can move it that way. Uh, you can also move this virus, and I'm sure some of what is occurring in China right now is you can move this virus through uh, garbage feeding. So again, as we said, it would survive in meat. You end up feeding that pigs back, that meat back to pigs, and you infect those that new set of pigs. Um, moves in multiple ways, and then the other concern is there, it also can get into ticks, and ticks can carry this virus. So that would be another way that it could possibly be moved and be transmitted. A much different production and consumption of pork paradigm in China than here in the U.S. You mentioned the wet market in a conversation before. That's right, and, and especially in that northern territory, that's what they've got in China as far as their marketing scheme is that wet market. So that's that's basically an animal that has been um, somewhat home slaughtered, if you will, or uh, small scale slaughtered, and then hung up, quote wet. Uh, the meat is hung up wet for sale. So uh, very quick turnaround on getting that meat into the market. So likely that if the virus were to be in that meat, it would be surviving in that meat. So it'd be a way for uh, somebody to come into a wet market, buy new buy product at a wet market, take it home, uh, consume in meals what they're going to consume, and if they feed those scraps back to pigs, then they're likely to infect pigs with African swine fever. With regard to China, the FAO had an emergency meeting a few days ago and suggested that not just China, but they expected this particular virus to spread over much of Asia. Yeah, we've got that concern, too. Um, just the way it's, it's jumped so quickly within China it would point out to us that, in fact, people are moving pigs and potentially also moving product around China extensively. And so we're concerned that those Asian countries that border China and that are also in the area around China, that some of that movement may also occur in, into, the, into their countries. In fact, we've already seen uh, within this last month two products showed up in Korea that were China-origin pork products. They were caught in quarantine, and they were harboring the virus. And they were they were shown to be harboring the virus by testing that was done in Korea. So, so that movement's already uh, you know very much potential of showing that movement happening. Luckily, this was caught in quarantine and thus didn't get out into uh, into Korea and, and potentially into Korean pigs. But you know you don't know what you're not catching as well. So that's why we we've get, been telling folks here and we've talked with USDA too about tourists and others that are coming back from these countries that have African swine fever. So that's Russia, that's China, that's uh, Belgium, that's Ukraine, there's other, and Poland. Um, we want those folks, we want the tourists coming in to know, please, please, please do not be bringing in illegal materials, do not be bringing in meat materials, especially pork. And we've also asked that uh, the government, we've talked with the USDA, and we've asked them to look more closely at these flights and ships as well that are coming from those countries and make sure that, in fact, these illegal products are not being brought into our country. So what measures are you aware of that the U.S. has already taken? And from your perspective, what needs to be done now from the U.S. standpoint to provide ultimate security measures uh, for our swine herd? A couple of measures that have been taken already, and, and one is what I just spoke to, the, the increased inspection for those uh, flights and ships that are coming in from those countries positive for African swine fever. Uh, another thing that USDA is doing is they're, they're taking a look at the Swine Health Protection Act and the regulations uh, that we have around um, waste feeding here in the United States. We still have some states where it's legal to feed waste, meat-containing waste to pigs. Uh, they're going to take a look at... Um, 
what needs to be done as far as improving inspections of those licensed facilities, because the only way to do it is to license it, and also do more searches and enforcement for unlicensed facilities where we might have illegal waste feeding to pigs uh, going on. Those are a couple of things that right now that that uh, USDA is taking on. Some of the things that we're looking to in the future with them is uh, they're they're going to go over and take a look at uh, the casings industry within China, looking at U.S. origin casings, how they're processed in China, how they're shipped back, and in fact, make sure that that is being done in the the manner which which which, it, which is prescribed for them to do it, which is safe for African swine fever. But we just got to make sure they're doing it that way. The other thing that we've asked them to do is take a look at what can we do about feed components, feedstuffs that are coming in from China. Is there a way to um, either do surveillance within those feedstuffs? Or is there a way also to maybe mitigate, assuming that the, the risk is there, uh, is there a way to mitigate uh, the virus being transmitted through those feedstuffs into the United States? Uh, that's something that we're continuing discussing with the government at this time. Uh, but at the same time, as for industry, we've already put out a risk assessment guide that kind of the producers can take a hold of and they can guide a discussion with their feed supplier to determine what's the risk with the feed ingredients that I've got that, are, that I'm bringing, uh, I'm using in my uh, feed for my pigs. So what is the most likely way you see now that this disease virus might make its way into the U.S. borders? And you know what, I think if you asked five veterinarians on this, you might get three or four different answers for sure. From my perspective, though, I think the most likely way now is I'm very concerned after looking at Dr. Scott D's research up at Pipestone. I'm very concerned about feedstuffs. I'm, I'm most concerned when you look at those feedstuffs about some of the organic soybean meal and soy cake that we're bringing in from China. This is China origin soybean meal and, uh, and soy cakes. The survival length of time for this virus in that one study done by Scott is extensive. Um, so I'm I'm very concerned that we have the potential to maybe be bringing in contaminated uh, product that way, and then we're going to end up feeding that to our pigs. So we take it right to right to the animals that could be infected with the virus. So that that concerns me the most at this time. So of the work that's been done, what do you lean now on pork producers uh, to follow through with their security measures? to ask the right questions of the right people to protect their herd. So they need to talk with their veterinarian. They also need to take a look at the Secure Pork Supply Program. And the, the Secure Pork Supply Program can be found at securepork.org. Um, and it, it up there it will detail for them how to get ready to basically face a response for any foreign animal disease, including African swine fever. Um, it, will, it will speak to getting a premises ID for each and every premises where you have pigs, and that's the number one thing to do right off the bat right now is to make sure that your premises is ID'd and it's ID'ing back to where the pigs actually are. Uh, other things that, that they do within Secure Pork Supply is it'll teach you somewhat how to underst- how to recognize any of the foreign animal diseases on your farm, including African swine fever. And it'll also speak to the biosecurity level that's needed to be in the Secure Pork Supply Program, as well as some of the record keeping that's needed that, that is, uh, can be shared with the state veterinarian in a time of need um, to show that, in fact, you have a secure pork supply on your farm uh, so that veterinarian can determine whether they want to m- enable you to move pigs in the face of an outbreak. I think it's best that our producers get ready for that because um, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but at some point we are going to get a foreign animal disease, whether it's African swine fever now or whether it's one of the other ones later. Uh, it's going to be those that are prepared ahead of time are going to be more ready for that response, more ready for continuity of business 
um, in the face of that response as well. So I think that's the best thing they can do right now. The other thing that, that they can do specific to African swine fever is take a look at www.pork.org forward slash FAD and take a look at the uh, risk assessment that we have up there for feed supplies and pull that down and go and see your feed supplier and ask them the questions uh, that are on that document to assess what, what kind of risk am I looking at with my pigs. Do I have risk? Do I have any risk at all? Is it low? Is it low enough that I'm okay with it? Or is there something I want to do differently? With regard to development of the 2018 Farm Bill, much discussion about animal disease and preparedness and asking for a vaccine bank. I think we were thinking more about foot and mouth disease there than we were African swine fever. Dr. Pyburn, what is the downside? What's the economic impact if African swine fever or foot and mouth disease were to make it into the U.S. border? How would we suffer? Yeah, we would suffer greatly. Um, we would suffer both within our industry and the pork industry as well as those industries that are allied to us, such as the corn and soybean industries, um, as well as our consumers would suffer too um, because we would see uh, a decrease in the availability of pork and an increase then, and of course, in the price of pork at the market. Um, Dermot Hayes did some work on this, and it's, it's getting to be about seven or eight years old now. He's up at Iowa State University, and uh, in his work, he... he put forward that um, an outbreak in the first year of the foreign animal diseases would would cost the pork industry eight billion that's billion with a b eight billion dollars and then he had uh, he also had estimates for the corn loss the corn industry losses as well as the soybean industry losses and those would be even more severe when you look at African swine fever because with classical swine fever and foot and mouth disease uh, animals don't die near to the level or, or, or really any high level of mortality for those two, uh, for foot and mouth disease and classical swine fever. But with African swine fever, you get 80% losses in the herd. you got a lot of dead pigs. Dead pigs don't eat, and thus the, the corn market as well as the soybean market is going to suffer at the same time. Again, as we're thinking about the developing new farm policy, obviously we're longer on ideas than we are on money to be able to pay for it, and and some would want to continue to trim areas of research. Can we afford now, as advanced as our animal agriculture industry is, can we afford now to back up on looking into particular areas with regard to safety and, and, and herd health? Now, we've got to take the long view there with animal research, and, and that's something, you know, hindsight's always uh, much sharper, much more to 2020 than, than looking forward. But we did have an African swine fever research program at the Plum Island facility, the USDA Plum Island Research Facility. It was uh, due to budget constraints, and I think also due to the fact that 20 years ago we were looking at African swine fever and it was sitting in Africa and not really moving anywhere. It was deemed that, in fact, that was one of the cuts they could make to save budget dollars. So for 20 years now or so, we have not had African swine fever research within our USDA facilities. You know, I don't know, but 20 years' worth of research might have brought us much more closer closer to or we might have a vaccine for African swine fever if we continued that work. Uh, we might know a little bit more about how the virus uh, is transmissible. We might know a little bit more about, say, for in, in, in examples, we're, we're asking now, what's the infectious dose of this virus? How infectious is it truly so that we can get a handle on how much would need to be in feed to infect our pigs? We might have more information on that as well. So I think with all the animal research that we're doing, we've got to take the long view. The other thing that I want to make sure that we're, we're careful of, too, as we look at African swine fever 
and we look at its spread within China, all of us are excited about African swine fever at this point. We're concerned that, in fact, it, it might be the one that gets into our country first. But don't forget about foot and mouth disease. Don't forget about classical swine fever because they're out there, too. They're out there, too, in multiple countries that we do trade with. Um, they're the uh, response of our export, our trade markets, would be the, the same for any of those three viruses. So let's not get all hung up on African swine fever and forget about those others, especially as we look at uh, a vaccine um, policy or a vaccine capabilities uh, to battle those, to battle classical swine fever and foot and mouth disease. We got to remember that they're also out there and they could, they could affect us just as well. Dr. Pobin, we want to thank you for taking time from a busy schedule uh, to spend with us here on Open Mic. This is Open Mic and you have the last word today. Yeah, I would just say that I think the most important thing producers can do right now is to take a look at how do I protect my farm? Because together, when we take all the herds together, and if we're all doing biosecurity, that's when we have national biosecurity. So take a look at the Secure Pork Supply Program at securepork.org. Get your farm ready to be within the Secure Pork Supply Program. Line up those records that you need. Improve your own on-farm biosecurity. Make sure you have a premises ID for, for all the farms where you have pigs. And, and, each and every one of us then can do our little part to get our nation basically prepared to, one, prevent this virus from coming in, and two, be ready to respond if it does come in. Our thanks to Dr. Dave Pybern with the National Pork Board, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.